Hey everyone, it's Father Pat here today to offer you my reflections on the scripture readings for today. Our readings today are from the sixth Sunday of Easter, a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Some who had come down from Judea were instructing the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the Mosaic practice, you cannot be saved. Because there arose no little dissension and debate by Paul and Barnabas with them, it was decided that Paul, Barnabas, and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. The apostles and elders, in agreement with the whole church, decided to choose representatives and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. The ones chosen were Judas, who was called Barsabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers. This is the letter delivered by them. The apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia of Gentile origin, greetings, since we have heard that some of our number who went out without any mandate from us have upset you with their teachings and disturbed your peace of mind. We have with one accord decided to choose representatives and to send them to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have dedicated their lives to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are sending Judas and Silas who will also convey this same message by word of mouth. It is the decision of the Holy Spirit and of us not to place on you any burden beyond these necessities, namely, to abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meats of strangled animals, and from unlawful marriage. If you keep free of these, you will be doing what is right. Farewell. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our response. O God, let all the nations praise you. O God, let all the nations praise you. May God have pity on us and bless us. May he let his face shine upon us. So may your way be known upon earth, among all nations, your salvation. O God, let all the nations praise you. May the nations be glad and exult because you rule the peoples in equity. The nations on the earth you guide. O God, let all the nations praise you. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May God bless us, and may all the ends of the earth fear him. O God, let all the nations praise you. A reading from the book of Revelation. The angel took me in spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It gleamed with the splendor of God. Its radiance was like that of of a precious stone, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a massive high wall with twelve gates where twelve angels were stationed and on which names were inscribed, the names of the twelve tribes of the Israelites. There were three gates facing east, three north, three south, and three west. The wall of the city had twelve courses of stones as its foundation, on which were inscribed the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gave it light, and its lamp was the Lamb. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever loves me will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, yet the word you hear is not mine, but that of the Father who sent me. I have told you this while I am with you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. 
not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You heard me tell you, I am going away and I will come back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. There are few things in life about which I can be 100% sure, but one of them is this. I will never be a member at Augusta National Golf Club. I say this with certainty uh, due to uh, a few facts. There are only uh, 300 members of Augusta at any given time. Membership is by invitation only with the uh, presumption, strong presumption, I guess, that, a, that any member can swing a golf club without the other members either ducking for cover or choking back laughter. The membership fee is six figures. That's more than $100,000. Estimates are anywhere from $100,000 to $300,000. And the annual dues are about $30,000. So that pretty much eliminates me also. And despite my given name, green is generally not a flattering color for me and Augusta's members wear green jackets. So if you are hoping to be a member of Augusta one day, you need not worry that I'm going to steal your seat. Until about 30 years ago, Augusta's, uh, Augusta National's membership was limited to people with white skin. Today, however, race no longer disqualifies a person from being a part of the family. You just have to be filthy rich and well-connected, I guess. But it's startling to think that if not for a pivotal discussion in Jerusalem a couple of decades after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Catholic Church might be a whole lot like pre-1990 Augusta National. Our first reading today is the next chapter in um, Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey. And you may remember from last week, they were dodging stones as they went from town to town preaching Jesus uh, primarily in Gentile areas. When they got back to Antioch, which was their home base, we hear uh, in today's first reading that trouble was brewing. Our scripture begins, Some who had come down from Judea were instructing the brothers, Unless you are circumcised, according to the Mosaic practice, you cannot be saved. Now, as Jesus was a Jew, and all his earliest disciples were Jewish, there was a strong belief among uh, a number of, of early Christians that circumcision was an essential mark of a Christian. I mean, for us today, that sounds like sort of an odd uh, membership card, but kind of a personal one as well. But it's important to understand where that came from. Circumcision was a visible sign of a child of Abraham. It was like a brand, a permanent mark that a person uh, had accepted the God of Israel as the one true God. And so it makes perfect sense that Jewish Christians saw it as important. It was a sacramental, meaning visible sign or visible representation of one's membership in in the new Israel of the Christians. Paul and Barnabas, however, realized that uh, insisting on circumcision would result in making the church like an invitation-only membership club, because in practical terms, circumcision uh, was restricted to Jews. Non-Jews didn't get circumcised. And not only Jesus, but even the Old Testament prophets were clear that the kingdom of God was to extend to the whole world. That was the idea. The Jews would, would eventually bring knowledge of God to the whole world. As today's psalm uh, response tells us, O God, let all the nations praise you. And speaking of the whole world, approximately half of the human race can't be circumcised no matter what their ethnic background is because, well, they don't have the right equipment, if you know what I mean. And Jesus made it pretty clear through his mother, Mary of Magdala, the woman at the well, lots of other prominent female disciples, 
that women are not excluded from salvation. There's a reason why, why Paul wrote in, uh, in his letter to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So circumcision, then, is not the sign of the new and everlasting covenant. But if it's not circumcision and it's not a green jacket, then what is it? Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. Today's gospel passage is from the Lord's um, uh, talk with his disciples prior to his arrest uh, at the time, roughly, of the Last Supper. The, the disciples, are, of course, are, are upset because Jesus is making some, some noise about his upcoming passion and leaving them behind, and, and they're not really happy about it. But Jesus says to them, I've told you this while I am with you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. And then a little later, he tells them that they should be happy that he is leaving them for a time. Why? Why is he leaving? And why should they be happy that he's leaving? Because as Jesus says, again, a little bit later, I no, no longer call you slaves. I have called you friends. Jesus's physical presence is no longer required because they, the disciples, are going to become the visible sign of the new covenant. Their entire lives are the new circumcision, the, the, that visible sacramental sign. The Father has given the Son everything, and through the Holy Spirit, the Son will give it all to them and to us so that we can change the world. That's why in John's vision of the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation we hear today, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty in the land. The city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the God the glory of God gave it light, and its lamp was the lamp. There's no need for a temple in the New Jerusalem so that the nations can see the Lord's presence, for his light shines all over the New Jerusalem and all those who are faithful to him. We've made some progress over the last 2,000 years in spreading the gospel, but still only about a third of the world believes in Jesus as God, and even the third that is Christian is not united. So what do we do about that? Maybe we can take some direction from how the early church dealt with the same issue in that first church council in Jerusalem that we heard about in the first reading. First, controversy and disagreement wasn't ignored. It was confronted and discussed so that the division and the people among the Christians, the early church, didn't continue and maybe even become worse. Second, they honestly addressed cultural sensitivities and barriers to unity and how best to overcome them without compromising the essentials of the faith. And third, they realized that it wasn't ultimately their decision. They let the Holy Spirit lead them in prayerful discernment rather than being driven by pride, self-interest, and fear of the unfamiliar or the unknown. The result was a decision that facilitated a universal proclamation of the gospel to the whole world that was still sensitive to the very real need to avoid any appearance of participation in pagan worship. That's why there's, there remains the restrictions on eating a meat sacrificed to idols and the drinking of blood. The second, but 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 by eliminating circumcision, we 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 have a church that is not just Jewish, right? But that is universal in scope. That's how they dealt with it in the first century. The Second Vatican Council, like the First Church Council in Jerusalem, was convened to deal with pastoral issues of the current day, of of the twentieth century, and now the twenty first century, rather than issues of belief or dogma. No, no new dogmas were proclaimed and no new creeds were developed at the Second Vatican Council. So we weren't changing 
church teaching. Pope John XXIII called the bishops of the world together to discuss not the content of the gospel, which doesn't change and will never change, but rather how best to proclaim the gospel to the modern world. Pope John saw that that perhaps the, uh, he saw or foresaw the rapidly de- decreasing influence of the church in an increasingly secular society. The church had long ago spread beyond Palestine and Asia Minor. Methods that, methods that were once effective in preaching Jesus to the, to the Europe of the Middle Ages are no longer working in Europe, much less in Africa and Asia and Latin America. A church seeking a worldwide kingdom of God had to take into account, has to take into account, vast differences among cultures, an increasing uh, global, uh, increasingly global economy, advances in science and other fields of, of study, communications revolution, and a society that's it's very more and more comfortable with, with questioning long-established institutions, traditions, and values. To be faithful and authentic to his mission, the church had to figure out a way to sell an infinitely valuable and objectively perfect product to rapidly changing markets and customers. The, the half century since the Second Vatican Council has resulted in changes in, in liturgy and, and church architecture and in strategies of evangelization. We can argue about, and we often and spend a lot of time, in fact, arguing about what has been successful and what has not been successful. But I hope we can at least agree that most of what has been, uh, been done, the large majority of what has been done, was done with the best of intentions, if not always the best outcomes. How a Nigerian septuagenarian, you know, experiences and communicates God's presence is naturally going to be radically different from that of an American a middle school student or high school student. Just like what resonated with a Jewish fisherman and a Roman centurion had completely different perspectives at, in the first century. So we can and should worship differently and pray differently and communicate differently while always being sensitive and respectful to the sincere seeker of the one true God. But it should go beyond just being respectful, of taking a live and let live attitude. If we truly believe in the gospel, then we should see it as critical that every person knows the fullness of truth. But we can't be so prideful as to think that those who differ from us, even significantly, have nothing to offer us in our own spiritual journey. You remember the, the, the story about the Pharisee Gamaliel in Acts 5, who uh, they're, they're trying to deal with the, the issue of the apostles preaching the name of Jesus and, and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, are really upset about it, right? They're, they're, they're afraid, right? They don't like them preaching Jesus. They don't think Jesus is the Messiah. They're afraid the Romans are going to uh, clamp down on them. And Gamaliel tells the Sanhedrin not to overreact, to just relax about the preaching of the apostles. Because if that preaching, if what the apostles were preaching is not from God, it would die out on its own. Well, then how do we explain that non-Catholic Christianity, Protestantism, has not died out after more than 500 years? How do we explain Islam being around for like 14 centuries and growing to almost as large as Christianity? The Catholic Church, as originally founded by Jesus, is supposed to be Catholic, Catholic, which means universal. Have we forgotten what the apostles understood? The need to follow the Spirit's lead in learning from our separated fellow seekers of God who just like us, have, have desires that are, that are implanted in their souls by God. And, in by, and by seeking them out, learning from them, and sharing what we know, we believe that 
through the grace of God, we can all become one in Christ. John envisioned a new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation that needed no sun, moon, or temple because the glory of God shines brightly through his people. We are not Augusta National Golf Club. At least, we're not supposed to be. So come, Holy Spirit, come. And hopefully, we are humble enough to listen to him. May Almighty God bless you this day, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great day.